All right, everybody, welcome to yet another amazing episode of Roll or Die. And today we have one of my all-time favorite human beings, actually. Like, Lockie Veal is a guy who I just met through my jiu-jitsu journey out of our club. And uh, he's managed to have, like, a significant impact on my health and fitness, but also just so many people around me. Like, everybody I introduce him to seems to kind of flourish like a little flower so welcome to the show lucky veal i feel honored to have have being on here so yeah thank you so much for taking the time um, out of you guys busy schedules is really really valued and to you and to you so you're up on the gold coast now lucky tell us uh tell us about that um i guess a long story short um you know when you stay in one place for most of your life, there is this level of comfortability um, that presents itself. And it's not a bad comfortability, right? It's, you're talking about your friends, the family and all that kind of stuff. And um, really felt like um, when we moved, which was a couple of months ago, um, felt was like, all right, I think it's time for change. You know, you know, gyms, gyms are not open at the moment. Things are quite slow in that perspective. So it was like, well, you know, what do we do? Do we, you know, wait things out or we just continue moving the needle forward? And um, you know, without hesitation, we sort of just made that call and um, completely moved to a new area where you don't know anyone, you don't know where anything is. Um, but I feel like that's what brings a lot of excitement in life. You know what I mean? The unknowing. Um, so, yeah, that's what we're doing up here. I've been here since uh, since the start of August. I really, yeah, really awesome. enjoy the time down here. And what, what what's the BJJ scene like up there? It's a lot. It's a lot smaller, um, and not so much it's smaller scene, but there's a lot more gyms that have smaller member members there. Mm-hmm. You know, with without with our gym that we were training at, right? It, there was a um, there was almost something that I took for granted was the abundance of timetables where you can literally, you know, apart from like you got what you had ten o'clock. I think it changed to two, right? We had the ten, we had the twelve o'clock, sometimes the one. Now it's two o'clock, and then you had five six a.m.s as well. Yeah, six a.m.s. You know what I mean? Now it's it's six a.m. Twelve? No, no, no. Twelve. There's a few gyms where you're going with, and mostly at night. Mm. So that was been a re uh, the importance of uh, what your values, right? Well, number one value is jujitsu. So we had to completely reconstruct our our daily schedule. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, To work around jujitsu. So. Um, yeah, a bundle of schools and a bundle of great teaching and, um, yeah, super grateful that I'm still able to train uh, at the moment. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, awesome. awesome. Is, it, is that, was your, was that your question, Anton? My question. Go, go, that was your question, yeah. <laughs> so, and tell us a little bit about your journey itself, Lockie. Like, uh, what got you into jiu-jitsu? What's your... Um, well, a long story short, so I started when I was 11. Um, and the only reason I got into 11 was I used to get bullied at school. Um, and so, you know, long story short with that, you know, I mean, you, you have to figure out what, what, how do I deal with these situations? There's not really many other sports out there apart from martial arts that sort of deal, deal with those kind of situations. So I kind of started that, um, was always into fitness. Um, and then basically from 11 to uh, let's say 19, it was kind of mixed with jiu-jitsu, kickboxing, you know, Muay Thai, the whole, you know, the whole thing. Um, but about 16, I started to get a lot of injuries, right? Started getting a lot of knee issues, uh, a lot of neck issues, shoulders, low back, ankles, toes, just the pretty regular things that we see in, in, on the mats as well. 
Um, went to then from, from 16 onwards, still training a little bit of jiu-jitsu. Started going to the chiros, the physios, you know, the osteos, all that kind of stuff, trying to get some answers. And I never got any sort of answers. It was always like, okay, we'll manipulate your spine, get your things moving, and then off you go. And two weeks later, I'm back to square one. Um, so I threw the pursuit of really want to continue the sport and then getting told that, you know, man, you're back, you, you know, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be doing any of that sort of stuff. You need to be you know, looking at you know, your health. I mean, I'm, I'm 21. Like, what do you mean? Like, you know, and it's not, it's not something that you think when you're young, right? Cause when you're young, especially early twenties, you think you, you can take over the world and you are going to live forever. All right. So it was kind of a bit of a shell shock there. And basically that was the you know, pursuit how I got into coaching as well um, through my own pursuit of fixing my own injuries. And then, you know, from coaching, you start meeting with other people who have similar injuries and similar answers too. They've been getting similar answers. So I'm like, Hey, there has to be a bit more to this. And I think from approximately about 23 to now, which about 28, I've been really just pursuing it head on and really finding innovative ways on how we can train for longer um, you know, and, you know, not being the typical case study of the 40, 50 and 60 year olds where they just can barely move again, there has to be some better answers. So that's kind of in a nutshell, how I sort of got into training. Well, like with that, so with the, you said you got into, before we get into like all that health and longevity stuff, which is just an mm. amazing rabbit hole to go down, but what mm. specifically kind of got you into the jujitsu part of those mixed things you were doing? Like, who said to you, try jiu-jitsu or, you know, like, how did you find um, it? It was nothing really specifically. Like, it was just, um, we grew up in a country town uh, up in Warrnambool, which was about, uh, back then, it was about 30,000 people. So it isn't, isn't much. And that's spread out, so keep in mind. So it is a quite small town. And the only gym that we had at that time was this uh, mixed martial arts gym. So had a little bit of jiu-jitsu, had a little bit of kickboxing, and boxing as well the teacher at the time was uh, i think he was a blue belt might have been a purple belt i can't remember but seeing seeing a black belt for the first time you know which took us a couple of years to see a black belt, i was like oh my god like yeah. what jesus is kind of like you know what i mean like it was quite an overwhelming experience right yeah. so we never really had exposure to uh, i guess some of the luxuries that we had in melbourne right um abundance of training partners everyone was a white belt so we were kind of just figuring out it's a very similar story like you hear in the 90s when UFC started to come um, yes, big. You know? that's what I was yeah, going to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like it, was the same, it was the same <laughs> thing. It was the same thing. You know, we were just like, holy shit, look at this, like this armbar triangle stuff. And we're like, all right, cool. You know, um, and just trying to figure it out. There was no, uh, you know, there was, I think instructions maybe started coming out, but they're more on the DVD kind of side. So there wasn't like, I can't just type in Google and, and then find information. It wasn't like that, um, even though it wasn't that long ago, to be honest. But, um, yeah, and that's that uh, that pursuit of trying to figure it out for yourself. You know what I mean? Okay. And you ask questions differently too. You're like, how do I challenge this problem? Okay, where do I need to put my hand here? Where do I need to start putting my hip here? You, know, you start thinking about those things differently. And that's really ultimately what I got into jiu-jitsu is just the uh, consistent pursuit of learning. You never stop learning, right? Cool. And I think that's what the beautiful thing about of it. It's no mastery. What is mastery with jujitsu, right? Yeah, that's for sure, man. So that's sure. how I got into it. Yeah, great. So you were in Warrnambool and then did you make somewhere along the line, make a move to Melbourne or how did that come about? Yeah. Um, yeah, I made that move to Melbourne um, where 
Now, country towns are good. They're really good. And I think depending on your goals in life, you know, maybe you want to raise a family. Maybe you're trying to take over a family business or something like that. I mean, absolutely. I'm a full supporter of that. But I was young and ambitious and I felt like there wasn't as many opportunities that presented in a country town compared to a city. And that's just, it was just the facts. Like that's the reality. Like if you wanted to uh, create a career. So I was in, when I got qualified as a coach, uh, 18, I worked in Warrnambool until about yeah, 22, 23 and sort of not hit the pinnacle, but I was running a really successful business um, doing really well. And I felt like that was kind of where I was at. Like I couldn't really do much. Like the next step would have been maybe opening my own gym, but even then, then I'm stuck in the one place at the one time. And I think ultimately what I realized there was, I always wanted to be nimble. I always wanted to be able to move freely and be around opportunities. And that's kind of hence why I made that move to Melbourne. Um, same thing. Didn't know anyone, didn't know where everything is. Um, but yeah, it's what, it's what life is about sometimes. And then when you moved from Melbourne to the Gold Coast, like you and Mish moved together, your amazing partner. She's just such an awesome human being too. Um, you guys were stuck in quarantine together, like 14 days in a Gold Coast, like hotel, basically, something like that. Um, yeah. And luckily, like you're both blue belts. Is that right? Still? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, you haven't overtaken me yet. But, um, no, but yeah. no, no, I don't think I ever will, dude. It's, it's a tough uh, one. But anyway, um, yeah. So what, what was that like being like in a BJJ relationship, in a lockdown, in quarantine, um, did you get any BJJ in in that time or was that like... Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the, the first the first year of the lockdowns, right, really kind of set up a foundation. And, I, and that's what it was. Like when gyms closed for the first time, we all, I think all of us really had to have a conversation with ourselves. Not saying Jiu-Jitsu was a whole career, but we're going, all right, what are we doing? Are we going to take a break from here? Are we going to continue training? Uh, like what are we doing right now like is this it's going to become an underground fight club like where, where, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where, where is this heading right like um so the first year we made that constant decision that no we're going to keep learning so we, we got a couple mats um we bought what do we bought we bought the keenan's lapel encyclopedia it was something funky new no one's teaching it we're like hey it's, it's something new and everyone's it seems to be um, at the moment, it's really hot at the moment, right? I'm like, cool, let's learn that. So we spent a lot of time doing that. And that really built the habits uh, of that first year. So when we moved, went to quarantine, it was kind of like, now it's different. Now we're stuck in a room. Like it was different, you know, before like the last couple of lockdowns, like you can still, like, you can still go out. It's still be, you can still do things, you go for walks and stuff. Now you can't, you're literally stuck in a room. We had a lucky, lucky enough, we had a balcony. So number one, we had to make sure we communicate with each other because obviously emotions and all that kind of stuff get in the way, right? Yeah. Um, but we still made made the time and it was like, it could be half an hour. We just played on the carpet, you know what I mean? Working some basic closed guard positions or, mm-hmm. you know, working any sort of, even just the techniques to finish chokes and stuff like that. Stuff that you kind of don't need mats. It is a little bit annoying about the mats. But yeah, we've it's it's never stopped. Like we've always made an effort to continue learning because it's you know once you're a student, you're always the student, right? Mm. Um, and we never really wanted to have the the limitations of not having a gym. Like it's business as usual. Not won't be perfect, of course. It's never going to be perfect, but you know, we still made that work. It yeah, was, awesome. um, ended up being really really well. And 
Uh, talking about being in a BJJ relationship, and we've had a couple of other people on in the past who also date mm-hmm. uh, people from Jiu-Jitsu. Quite often, there there's a bit of a discrepancy between the belt ranks. Like, how do you guys work out? You guys Perfect. are both the same rank, things like that. Uh, interested to hear your thoughts on uh, how things are in having a partner that trains with you who's theoretically yeah. the same rank as you. How, how's that go? Um it's a really, really good question. And I think this is something that could even be a whole podcast in itself, right? Um, it's a really good question. So um, one, the first the first thing is belts, right? What is belts and what, does that perceive we're at the same level? Well, it's very, it's a very broad topic, right? There's no really discrepancies. Okay, well, you have these adequate skills. Okay, that determines at what kind of level you're at. So that was the first challenge. And now when you start dating your partner, especially the first year, like I was full of ego and I'm sure Mish was sort of like, I, I knew better, right? There's all these things I knew better. So actually to work together as, as someone who does train is incredibly a massive growth partner relationship. And I contribute a lot of our sticking by to each other because of doing jujitsu together. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll honestly be truthful. The first year was horrible trying to train with each other. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, we're just like, I'll say something. She took it hard. I'm like, no, you're going to move here. And like, oh, you're saying I'm shit. Like, no, 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 no. Like, you know what I mean? And what I realized is, is you have to really learn to create spaces for your partner to learn as well. Like, you know what I mean? We're all trying to figure it out. And then um, seeing them as the both the same side. You know, I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. We're at the same thing. We're trying to learn. So for me, le- learning to ask for help for my partner in jujitsu was one of the most challenging things. Um, but if you grabbed, let's say we grabbed 20 people right now. So 20 couples who train jujitsu and you ask them, Hey, how, how's it like training your partner over lockdown? <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're going to give you a very similar answer. And I, I don't know the statistic by memory, but I remember we, uh, Mish and myself were having this conversation. I'm like, holy crap, nearly most couples cannot train with each other. Yeah. And so it's a real thing. Like I said, this probably could be a conversation a whole, you know, for another podcast, right? But, you know, let's, we'll use the 80 20, 80% of couples cannot train together. And you go, well, why is that? You know what I mean? I think communication, I think there's obviously a little bit of ego as well, um, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So it's been, it's, 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 it's such a great relationship therapy. You know yeah. I mean? I and think- Kim's dealing with the same thing, right? But she's black belt and her partner's white belt. So yeah. that's like a whole different, what's that one like, Kim? Just well, like, yeah, that's but, and also the question. And the size difference too, yeah. I mean, you could talk size about difference. leverage as much as you want, but, and you should say, oh, you're a black belt, it shouldn't matter, but it does. Like, sorry, mm-hmm. but when it's the size difference like that, as well as the skill difference, it's different. So, yeah, I think what you're saying, Lockie, is 100% that communication and also that willingness to learn. So um, on my end, I mean, I guess there's sort of, I don't know why there is this uh expectation that a black belt kind of knows everything i, I certainly mm-hmm. don't I, I i'm very lacking in knowledge in many many areas mm-hmm. so sometimes there's this expectation that like oh you'll know the answer to that i'm like i don't mm-hmm. and i know when i got my black belt tiago said you know that it's like beginning again as a white belt and it really has been for me as a black belt and i've sort of enjoyed that learning process all over again to be able to learn and also to lose my ego a little bit to say, like, I don't know that. Okay, yeah. let's have a look at it. Let's watch the video together and try and do it. So, but the physical side of the training together has been challenging. We've had to uh, be uh, quite uh, 
ingenious about how we can come up with mm. ideas to still work together. Yeah, yeah. that's been that's it. Awesome. That size difference, I think, is really actually something I've completely forgotten. That was a challenging thing too because, oh, you're being rough. I'm like, no, I'm not being rough. You know, it took me a long time. I'm like, oh, well, actually, as that a was male, you saying that to Mish, right? You were, you, you were saying that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, as a, <laughs> as a and male, it's emotional. Like, we're emotional. Women are emotional. Guys too, I guess. But yeah, guys women too. are guys much, too. much more emotional. Yeah. Um, learning to train with women as a male too, like that's that's a, almost a skill in itself uh, as well. I'm sure there's 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 links with females as well. Females trying to train with guys, like man, like that's it's it, you know it's, that's what I mean. It's that white belt, like learning to be the best partner for all your training partners, not not just your, you know your relationship, but also with other people in the gym. Yeah. You know, I want to be the best training partner for all the females out there. I also want to be the best training partner for all the males in there. And you got to really understand, like especially your, your partner, Kim. Like, dude, he's a it's a big dude. You know what I mean? So really trying to yeah you know, feel that out and him try not be rough. It's it's like a it's like a what is it like a dog trying to f- figure out where his legs are and all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Except I it takes five really ten years to figure that one out. Like I just got myself in what you guys are talking about. That not only is there the twenty five thousand plus combinations of BJJ chaining, you know, which is more than a lifetime. But then there's so many facets of how to train BJJ, how to be a good training partner, how to deal with ego, how to, all of these things are also a lifetime journey within jiu-jitsu that don't get a lot of attention, I think, you know. So it's really it's an amazing conversation. Yeah, right. like, could be a lot, this could be multiple podcasts in it, you know what I mean? Like, I guess we'll just really, have to get you back. Really man. break it down. That'll be the game. Yeah. You're one of our regulars, brother. That's it. Um, <laughs> Plant is my question, there. Kim, or is it, I think it's mine. Uh, I guess, yeah, go. Okay. Cool. I've got one. Um, you've just been, you've just told me to listen to, and I also had it on my list, um, Breathe by Hicks and Gracie. Um, yep. And I'd love your views on that book and what you got out of that book or, you know, just, yeah, just share a bit about that, man. Um, that's a really, yeah, a really a book that really, it was not what I expected. You know I mean? You know, when sometimes like, it was actually my fault. Normally I should read the back cover. What's it about? Um, Hicks and Grace, and you know, we always talk about his breath and stuff. So I thought about he was talking about all about his breath work and stuff like how and how he implemented in life and jujitsu. To be honest, that was fifteen minutes of the book. Mm. <laughs> so we basically talked about his story, how he grew up and stuff. And one thing I actually learned was about how to be a good father. I have great role models like yourself, Anton, as well. How to be a good father? There was another perspective as well, right? Um, so that kind of went oh. Um, and the, the way he talks about jujitsu like, is incredible. Like I've never really heard it into the way that he's articulated, like how that you feel, feel the position. You should be able to do it, eyes closed, the micro adjustments. We talk about pressure, right? Hicks and Grace is known for the, the pressure passing and the way he positions his shoulders, these, all these little micro movements has definitely changed the way I think about jujitsu, even my positioning, you know, mm-hmm. where it is passing guard or something like I'm really thinking, okay, where's my shoulder? Okay. Where? his posture and like i'm feeling it out and really okay can i adjust my legs back a little bit like i'm really breaking down these little micro movements no. purely from this book right but uh yeah. the biggest one was actually the ability to read your opponent right like you're on the mats and you're really analyzing your opponent what's his energy level like and i think kim anton like you've had plenty of experience kim's had like years of experience really um you know people being very aggressive right i'm sure we've all been there so it's one of those things, right? Well, you don't want to mash him. You're going to let 
be calm and be two steps ahead. You can't be aggressive for five minutes straight or 10 minutes straight. It's, it's a burning candle that's burning really fast. Mm. So really just starting to recognize those kind of things that, yes, obviously um, experience is one thing, but really hearing how he diagnosed problems on the mat has completely changed the way I see jiu-jitsu and, and in life too. Like wow. life's very similar. Um, so that were kind of my main feedbacks from the book, you know, good health and, and living a good life. Can't wait to read that, man. I'm super inspired after what you just said. That's for sure. <laughs> my my job right. And look, you mentioned earlier about some of your um, training methods, or can't remember how you put it, but with regard to specifically around uh, injuries and knees and things like that. Can you tell yeah. us a bit about that? Yeah, certainly. Um, well, we can use a case though with you with yourself, Kim. I thought, I, I, by memory, I remember you did a lot of work with JT and stuff like that. What were your injuries and like, and how did you overcome it? And I'll kind of try to fill in the gaps. With yeah, the, well, like I've been pretty fortunate. You know, I don't know too many people that have been 12 years in jiu-jitsu. I've only had the one major injury, which has been yep. to my shoulder, shoulder uh, yeah. which was, yeah, about four and a half years ago or so, 2017. Okay. That and what was, was wrong so, with your yeah, shoulder? So I've got a grade three tear. So gotcha. basically nothing holds a total shoulder yeah. separation. So I had to do a lot of work, a lot of rehab around kind of building up all those muscles at the back of my shoulder that basically lift it up because it's, it's nothing's holding it together anymore. All those muscles have to do it. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, I think the first part with injuries, right. I think it accidents happen in jujitsu. It's a, it's a contact sport, right? So it's not, I mean, we can't simply uh, avoid injuries, but we can definitely regret, reduce them. Um, and the first thing that we, I've always been a big fan of is really identifying the positions that we spend the most amount of time in. And that's including on and off the mat. For example, uh, if we're sitting down right now, uh, we're in a 90 degree hip flexion, okay? We're in hip flexion for probably, well, depending on our jobs and our lifestyle, to be honest, it's probably continuing to be more as years go on, right? Um, then we go into jiu-jitsu and then, you know, depending on what you're working on, for example, if you're working on uh, an open guard or closed guard position, there's a lot of hip flexion again. So not only you've jammed up your hips for the last eight hours, now you're continuing to jam up your hips on the mats. Mm. So what's the solution there? Well, there's one we can definitely look at the way we structure classes, right, on the positions that we work in. But simply identifying that and then providing movements that counteract that position. So, for example, if it's hip flexion, what's the opposite of flexion? It's extension. So part of some of the training protocols, if you're looking at the legs, is really adapting like at least you know 80 percent of the movement should be requiring some sort of hip extension work where most of us struggle to extend our hips from the sitting down aspect so it kind of expands onto that and then we can obviously talk about you know the sport same thing okay what is you know the positions that we spend the most amount of time okay well um we use a great example i've got something here have you seen these uh before they're just like a, a finger extension right oh yeah, so yeah. put on my thumb so the number one movement in our hands, right, is wrist flexion, right? We have to squeeze and we have to grab the lapel, grab the grips, or even no gaze, the same kind of thing. When in the sport do we do this? Like maybe when we post, maybe, but even then people's hands are so tight that they kind of post like that. Hmm. So, I mean. Even then though, if I'm doing that, right, like it's just momentarily to put my hand out and there's no, and then it's out and the ground's supporting that whole position. Yeah, so. 
you know, focusing on the wrist extension muscles, you know what I mean? So count all the facts of the time that you spend in wrist flexion. Mm. Not only that, we're also typing a lot, our fellow entrepreneurs here. <laughs> we spend a lot of time typing on the laptop, typing on the phone. That's more wrist flexion. It's more flexion on the fingers. So mm. it's about, that's probably the, the number one concept is really identify those positions, not just the mat, but also what do you do off the mat as well? Um, and by doing that, I, I feel very confident saying that I think we can reduce, you know, at least 70 to 80% of the injuries that we already have mm. acute injuries, you know, accidents happen. Hey, happens, but maybe that injury, maybe, uh, maybe that M- ACL tear could have been a, just a strain. If we did a little bit more knees over toes or a bit more knee bend, uh, activities outside the gym. So what's the benefit of the knees over toes though? Like well, it's like, um, in general, actually, because like, that's a concept which took me a while to kind of like, you've got me doing knees over toes stuff, but yeah, just talk about why it's important and what it is. I think if you don't mind, well, we look at, we look at our daily lives first. So number one is, um, okay. When you walk down steps, knees over toes, when you bend things over, it's knees over toes. So this, it is a movement that we are accustomed to. Now in 19, I think it was 1976 or 78, don't correct me on that one, but in Duke University, there was a study that revealed that if, the, if you bring the client knees over toes, it brings more pressure on the knee. And they were correct. They were actually right. If you bring your knees over toes, it brings more pressure on the knee. But instead of going, cool, that means we need to strengthen that position, right? We've backed it off. So when I got qualified as a coach, we, we always, and, and still to this day, we go, don't bring your client's knees over toes because it's bad for the knee. But if you look at one of the biggest death in elderly people right now, it's it's not the C word, it's actually people falling over. Mm. And that's a lot of the recruit of not being strong enough knees over toes. This is why there's a lot of knee arthritis right now. Mm. Um, the Chinese are the big support in this. They, they're first doing it. So you might see this sometimes in the city where you see a whole bunch of elderly Chinese people walking backwards and all that. They get all the Chinese people to walk backwards. They get all Olympic athletes to walk backwards. In this case, it's more sled, you know, drags and all that kind of stuff. Now we can break it down to uh, jujitsu. There's a lot of knees over toe exercises and the scrambles and all that kind of stuff. Specifically, like when we're looking at single leg or double leg takedowns, the pen, that penetrating leg, that front leg, you know, I mean, that's a great example of that. So, and we don't get, we, we never train in that position. And this is why, again, some of the things that we can just start integrating into our lifestyle, we can you know, reduce a lot of these injuries. Yeah, great. What sort of uh, advice would you have for the older grappler? Like uh, a lot of people in jiu-jitsu are in their 40 plus years. Yeah. So what, what sort of advice would you have for people that are, especially people that might be, you know, still getting into it in the, the earlier stages of the belts, like wine and blue belts. It's mm. a good question. Well, I think um, being a, a little bit wiser, I guess, with the age is really determining on picking the roles that you want to have or communication, actually. You know, to be honest, now when I say that, probably communication is a big thing, right? Like a lot of people, um, you know, we have some, some people have injuries, but they don't communicate that, right? And that, that like, obviously, that's probably another conversation for another podcast, right? But, you know, communication is a really big thing. So, that, like, without doing anything, going, hey, 
And if you're aware of your own body, especially having a couple of years now behind you, you're going to go, well, hey, my knee's not feeling best or my elbow. Hey, can we just be mindful of my right arm? You know, blah, blah, blah. So that's the first thing without really doing anything different, right? And then probably the second thing I'll be looking at, okay, what what are the weak points? What are the, what are the joints that you do not feel comfortable, com- uh, confident with? And then, okay, let's start working out why do you don't feel confident with them? Let's start putting a, a bit of a routine uh, in place a daily routine that we can start strengthening up those ligaments, tendons, or muscles, or even a joint issue. You know what I mean? Just start. And um, it's a never ending journey. I think even if you're 20 or you're 50 years old, it's never ending. So once you fix your elbow, you're going to be trying to fix your neck. And once you fix your neck, you're going to fix your knee. And then it's going to be the ankle. And it's going to be something else. It's going to be the back. Like it never ends. And I think really falling in love with the process of self-improvement not only for yourself but your physical self i think you really have that approach if you're in your 30s 40s or 50s i feel like you're really gonna increase that longevity approach with your training and with your physical health as well for mm-hmm. sure yeah 100 yeah. uh, and what, what what do you i mean like i know you read a lot of books because uh, like i'm really lucky that you share with me a lot but to keep up with you dude it's not hard yeah thanks man um yeah so with, I mean, breathing. Let's talk about breathing. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you talked about the book Breathe as well, but like well, nasal breathing. Let's talk about that in relation to BJJ because there's a lot of stuff that you've been studying. What, what are your thoughts around nasal breathing and what the benefits of that can be as far as BJJ is concerned or just for longevity? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, well, we got brought into this word breathing, right? So, but we've almost lost touch on, on with the breath, right? Um, there's a lot of talk about in the, in the Hicks and Gracie book about breathe as well, nasal breathing and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately too, when you can control your breathing, you can control your heart rate. If you control your heart rate, you can control your state. Um, you know, so if you're getting overwhelmed, maybe you're mounted or your back taken or whatever it is, or you, you know, when you get mounted and you feel suffocated, you know, and especially in summer, right, it gets hot and you're like, start panicking, right? By simply, and this was an example in the Hicks and Gracie book. I can't remember exactly what happened. He panicked, he tapped, and he got so focused on that. So what his, his brothers did, they rolled him up in a carpet, rolled him up in a carpet <laughs> and, and just made him stay in there until he could calm down we'll in the carpet. <laughs> I mean, it's a try to extreme example. Yeah, but he was like twelve years old or something too. Yeah, like yeah, yeah something he was like not that. Not an adult. Yeah, <laughs> as he was growing up and training in the in the adult classes, he got yeah. tapped because of that. So he, he did. He rolled himself up in carpet as a kid. That's great. You know what I mean? But we we can really talk about okay. Well, where is it stemming from? What's what's the go of the breath? Well, the, the biggest challenge right now with Western society and probably the whole world is our mouths are slowly getting a little bit smaller. And they're getting smaller because we don't chew enough. I mean, we chew. And what does that mean? What do we chew? Of course we chew. Well, the food that we our ancestors used to eat, a lot more raw meat. There was a lot more harder things that we chew. We had to use our jaw a lot more. Mm. And because of the beautiful world that we live in right now, it's one of the best times to be alive right now in human history, to be honest. Like if things are so easy right now, mm. um, the only problem is that is our food's becoming a lot easier. That means we're chewing less. So our mouths are getting smaller. That's why there's a big challenge right now with sleep apnea, a lot of sleep issues because we do a lot of mouth breathing. Mm. And I mean, if you lose touch with the relationship with your breath, something fine, like you're going to be a lot more stressed. You're going to hold a lot more tension in the body, anxiety levels, 
all that kind of stuff can be stemmed for the breath. The breath connects with the central nervous system, right? So in order to communicate with your central nervous system, you have to control your breathing first. Um, um, and some, yeah, we've been working closely on that with your family as well. And um, even, even introducing ch- uh, chewing exercises. How, how has that been, the chewing exercises? I've got these things, um, I'm still waiting for mine. There it is. Here's something I prepared earlier. And I got these two. These guys. Uh-huh. It's really good, man. I'm feeling like my jaw, because it used to click from being like subbed so many times and my jaw being yanked on. All the clickings disappeared out of my jaw. I feel great. Like I really, I, like I'm, and I called my, my niece because I've got her into these. She's like, I'm not doing this. I had braces for two years. So I'm not doing this because I don't want to mess my teeth up. So she made me call her dentist because she didn't want to do the dirty work. So she made me call her dentist. And I said, I've got these things. What do you reckon? He said, look, I'm not sure about the, what you're talking about, but I do know they're not going to hurt your teeth. <laughs> so, that, so that's where, where I'm at. So we're doing an experiment and uh, it's going pretty well so far. That's great. Awesome. Yeah. I, I, hey, look, I, I don't have a question, but I just had an epiphany actually with uh, earlier when uh, you were talking about injuries and stuff like that. And it's made me realise, so before... Um, my current club I was at a previous the previous club I was at it had I guess it was a blessing and a curse that there was no lower belts like I came to absolute as a purple belt and the majority of my training partners when I was white and blue were brown and black belts so in some ways it's why like I've really built a very strong defense because I was never able Mm -hmm. to attack anyone as a white and a blue belt but I think at the same time that is possibly a big reason why I didn't get injured yeah. as a white belt or a blue belt or a purple belt because I was always rolling with those higher belts who um, yeah. maybe looked after me, you know, a little bit more because I, I, I hate to say it, but I think that maybe more injuries happen at white and blue belt than sure. at brown and black belt, maybe because you've just got that much more body awareness. So I just want to put a public service announcement out there. Please don't avoid the higher belts to all those lower rank people. I can't tell you how many times I ask for roles and I get knocked back to see a white belt rolling with another white belt. And I want to say, come on, man. I'm actually going to help you. No, no. Oh, my God. I don't. I don't. I don't pull rank on it. Maybe I should. Or or white belt rolling with a blue belt or whatever. And I'm like, man, you know. I I think you should pull rank on it for their own for their own good. That's what I think. Mm. Sometimes I do. Yeah, I I do. Sometimes do. I mean, it's tricky one. Sometimes I say, oh, I've already lined up to roll with this person or that person, so you know, I don't want to upset the apple cut. But yeah, my point was more that I feel like being, you know with a partner that's got a little bit more experience because it is tricky as a white belt and a blue belt you just don't have that body awareness of yourself so i feel like often injuries are caused by yourself almost by reacting or not reacting to certain positions Mm, that's a great that's a great perspective i think that's so true and it comes down to communication too right you know i mean you're rolling with the upper belts and stuff like hey I'm just like, I'm here, but I'm here to learn. Can I, can we do a training? And most, I think most upper belts are pretty open-minded to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I think sure. it's, and I think it's important for us to continue to work with lower belts because they're the future as well. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like we want to continue to grow the sport, right? Yeah. I've noticed Tiago does mm. do that sometimes. Like you'll put the, all the white belts have to roll with colored belts first, you know? And I think that's, that is good yeah. that he does that. Great. Yeah, I think that's definitely. important. Definitely. Um, Wow. This is something I could add add to all of our conversation so far. Yeah. It's about By also way, the, the challenge. So lucky, oh, please. We've, got, we've got three minutes left, my brother. So um, oh, dude, do it with power. No, you do. Say what you want to say, but I'm just letting you know. Say it. 
it's good. All right. I guess this could be a closing thought. Is yeah. Basically, we, we have a full range of motion depending on what joints we're talking about. And if we don't take our full through the joint for its full range of motion, we're going to lose that range of motion. And what happens when they lose that range of motion, we, the joint starts to calcify. We can use uh, your mum, for example, Anton, really good examples. When you stop using the shoulder, what happens? I have a frozen shoulder. The joint cal- you know, calcifies. You mm. stop using your feet. What's the common one? Uh, plantar fasciitis, right? Super common. Why? Why is plantar fasciitis really important? Because we stop using our feet. You know, we don't walk on uneven surface. We always, we always wear shoes now. So I think that's the important. I guess the big takeaway is look at your joint. Where do you feel uncomfortable? And start working in, in ranges. And by just doing that, you're going to start rebuilding the joint structure and rebuilding the lubrication and the cartilage inside the joint, and um, increasing your longevity with your training. And of course, outside the gym as well. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, nice, nice closing thought. And yeah, thank you so much, Lockie, for giving up your time. Ah, We're sad you. in a way that you're on the Gold Coast and you're not here with us in Melbourne, but it's no good worries. to see you again. It's been great. Yeah. Even on a screen. So yeah, good. say hi to Mish for I us. Will. And um We'll yeah. be we'll be lo- loading this one in a couple of weeks. So if you could share it uh, on your platforms too, that would be awesome. I'll make it hot to help us as well. Yeah, awesome. yeah. And if I can do to help you guys, you let me know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you'll, have, you'll definitely have to come back from time to time, man, because you're just you're a progressive mind. You're always looking for the next thing or the next way to develop yourself, and that's we just want to keep adding value to the BJJ community. I think you've got a lot to offer. So, all right, much love, people. Open those borders. Yay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, happy times, Thanks, guys. Bye. Yeah. Bye.